0: This is ASHA Voices, I'm JD Gray. What can we learn about hearing loss from our own genes? In our second episode about gene therapy, we visit a geneticist in Israel who's on the forefront of research into the genes associated with hereditary hearing loss. Karen Abraham is a faculty member and Vice Dean of the Faculty of Medicine at Tel Aviv University, where she searches for the genes associated with hearing loss. Today on the podcast, she'll tell us what it's like to find one of those genes and how those discoveries may connect to the future of treatment. Karen's research places her at the very beginning of the process that could result in the development of gene therapies. Her research has earned her a nickname of sorts, The Gene Hunter.
1: It's a great name, isn't it? We have been searching for genes that are associated with hereditary hearing loss for about 25 years now.
0: Wow. And how many would you say you found?
1: We found about 22 primarily in our population, but we've also found genes that are found worldwide as well. We've been really lucky because we have a population that's really eager to participate. They very much want to know what the genetic basis is for their hearing loss, and ways that they can use that information to help improve their hearing loss, either now or in the future.
0: Let's talk about that a little bit. Help me put into context a little bit. You find the genes, and then what happens next? Why is it so important to find these genes?
1: Well, immediately, the kind of information that you can provide to someone who has hereditary hearing loss is a prediction about what will happen to that hearing loss. Many times we find a correlation between the gene, the type of variant that's in the gene, and the type of hearing loss. So, for example, we can find situations where we can make a prediction that there won't be a change over time, or we can predict that it's going to start as a moderate hearing loss, but over time can become severe or even profound. Now, of course, our predictions are not 100%. They're based on seeing what's happened in other individuals who had the same type of variant and the same type of hearing loss. But pretty much across the board, these predictions are quite accurate.
0: When you look for the genes, you know just what you're looking for. Are you more, are you on a scavenger hunt or are you more of a person on the beach with a metal detector? Do you know exactly what you're looking for? Do you know it when you see it? Do you know what I'm asking?
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I do. I actually, we actually call it more of like a needle in a haystack. Having said that, it's gotten much easier. What we do today is we take the DNA that we've extracted from blood, and we perform a technique that's called high-throughput sequencing, and that allows us to screen for all of the genes that code for protein in our genome. So something that used to take maybe six months, and we really have to go through each one of the genes individually in a really painstaking way, today we can just prepare the DNA, do some experiments, feed it into a machine and within less than 24 hours get the results. Now, those results have to be studied on what we call a bioinformatic level. So there has to be a computational biologist who really understands how to dissect really a huge amount of data. You have to imagine that we're looking at millions of base pairs. And what we wanna find among all of those base pairs, all of our approximately 23,000 genes that humans have We want to find that one genetic change that is different in that individual that causes their hearing loss. So it usually takes a computational biologist anywhere from a day to maybe two weeks to try to figure out what that change may be. Having said that, we don't always find it. I would say that we find the change in about 60% of the DNAs that we look
0: at. Because you're not just looking for the gene, you're looking for a mutation.
1: Yeah, we like to call it a variant, but yeah, we're looking for a genetic change and it could be a very large deletion. It can be just one base pair deletion. There are so many different kinds of changes, but we have to prove afterwards in the laboratory, unless it's a change that's been found previously and the work has already been done, if it's a new change, then we actually have to spend anywhere from months to years proving that that really is the change causing the hearing loss. The reason it's so important to do that is if, first of all, if you're going to be making a prediction about an individual's hearing loss based on that genetic change, you have to be very sure that that's the cause. The other reason, if we want to use that information in the future for gene therapy, then we have to make sure that we're correcting the correct variant.
0: Yeah. What does it feel like when you find the gene you're looking for, when you find the variant?
1: Wow. It is one of the most (laughs) exciting uh, feelings that there is because it really is, as I said, a needle in the haystack. Even though we can do it now much quicker than we used to be able to, we still have to comb through many different genes. And we also are acutely aware that those people who come to the genetics clinics, they really want an answer. And so knowing that what we're doing in the laboratory at the level of basic research but because of the connections that we have, medical geneticists, with speech therapists, audiologists, and ENTs, that information that we're finding, we then send it on to the clinic. They need to repeat it to validate what we're doing, since we're not a clinical lab. But that information is being used directly to help people. So it makes us feel really good.
0: We just mentioned gene therapy. There's a lot of emerging interest in that subject. I'm thinking of private companies sprouting up, interested in developing gene therapies and lots of new publications and literature. As you've been doing this work, have you seen the attitudes around gene therapy change?
1: Absolutely. I think a lot of it has to do with there's been more than a handful of success stories. And once, especially stakeholders and those who are going to be investing a lot of money start really seeing that there's potential for success then they really want to join. I think the estimate now is about 50 or 60 different companies who have decided to enter this space. And that's really important because at the end of the day, the work that we're doing in our laboratory and hundreds of labs around the world who are working in this area need to be able to take that information, that data, that basic research, and transfer it to the clinic. And the way that it can be done is by companies developing whatever tools are necessary to be able to implement that either whether we're talking about cell therapy, a gene therapy, whether it's something that's going to be done surgically. But at the end of the day, the companies are the ones who need to do that work. So it's been really, really gratifying to see how that space has changed in the last couple of years.
0: You're at Tel Aviv University, you're in Tel Aviv. Can you talk a little bit about what it means to do this research in Israel?
1: Sure. I think, as I mentioned earlier, we're very fortunate because we live in a country where science is very highly valued and respected, and people very much appreciate that you can get answers for yourself, for your family, through genetics. I think partly that has to do with the fact that there are a decent number of what we call founder mutations, so mutations that occurred many years ago in one individual and then was carried through many generations. And so we see some diseases that are prevalent in the population because of these genetic mutations. So that's built an awareness that probably doesn't occur that much in other countries the way that it does here.
0: What do you think gene therapy is going to mean for audiologists in the future?
1: Well, hard for me to have a crystal ball and to predict the future. But if I'm going to look at what's happening with other disorders or diseases, there are probably about 200 clinical trials today going on with a specific form of gene therapy, the type that we used, which is called AAV. It's adeno associated virus, and it's actually used as a vector or a vehicle to take the gene that we want to insert into the inner ear and and carry it in there. One thing that's really important to emphasize is this is not a virus that causes any harm. All the bits and pieces that cause a virus to create havoc have been taken out. So this is just acting as a vehicle. And that's really the beauty of this, of what's been developed. So what we did, just to mention what we did specifically in a model for human deafness, is we took the gene with the correct sequence and we introduced it into the inner ear of mice that have a specific mutation that causes the same kind of deafness that we see in these human families. It's not a very common form of deafness, but there are families in Israel in Turkey and in the UK. So what really it's going to mean for audiologists is that one day they may see a patient, send them for genetic diagnostics, and there'll already be a platform available for a gene therapy solution for them. I think that it requires A couple of elements. Well, first of all, we have to get to a place where this is going to be moving into the human realm. Today, the work that's being done is only done on mice and on non-human primates. So it's very much still in the research stage. There are, for other diseases and disorders, about 200 clinical trials going on using AV, and there are two specific diseases in which AV is already used for gene therapy. So that's really encouraging that We're already seeing it either happening in some diseases, in clinical trials, and other than obviously we have to overcome some technical and and perhaps other hurdles in order to be able to move it into humans, I think it's going to happen one day when I don't have a crystal ball to be able to tell you when. What that does mean is that audiologists and all of those health professions who take care of individuals with a hearing loss have to understand about genetics and understand first of all there are hundreds of genes that are known to be involved in hearing loss and while today we can use that information to make predictions of the severity or how how bad the hearing loss can be in the future which can help determine how the rehabilitation should be done? Should there be a cochlear implant put in soon? Is it something that they should wait for longer? Does it seem that they're gonna be able to do really well with hearing aids for a long amount of time? So those are some questions that are posed today that the genetic answers can help define. One day, if we're able to do the AV gene therapy in humans, then knowing what the genetic variant is, will mean being able to send that individual to have that particular treatment being done with the AEV. One of the complexities here, as I mentioned, how many genes are involved, is that there might be very small groups of people who can have one or another form of therapy. And if I talked about the challenges we have, that will be one of them. Will companies be able to develop a gene therapy for a gene that is only involved with five or 10 families in the world, or will they only be able to develop a gene therapy where there's 10 or 100,000 individuals with that particular genetic variant? That's why we're so eager, not only in Israel, but in other places in the world, to really know what's going on on a population level of all of the individuals who have a hearing loss, because once that therapy comes out, we'd already like to know who are the patients Who can get that therapy we don't want to only start doing the genetic diagnosis then which could take a couple of months even years you know there's a whole logistic thing of getting people to the clinic collecting their blood extracting the dna doing the genetics right it's a whole system that's needed and if a person already knows when that therapy is going to be ready what mutation they have it can mean solving the problem much quicker
0: At the end of our conversation, I asked Karen about her personal connection to the research, and she told me about her 30 years of work on the subject.
1: When I got to Frederick, Maryland, I did my postdoctoral fellowship there. I was really keen to study different mouse models for human disease. It's a tremendous tool because of the similarities between mice and humans, as different as we look. Uh, We are very similar in our genetic component, I had also been, I think, moved by a couple of stories that I had heard, a book that I read called Train Go Sorry, a documentary about a family who was struggling about whether to put in cochlear implants or not. And I think also having met some people who were at Gallaudet, it really touched me. And I think that I became not only involved in the basic research side of finding the genes because I was a geneticist in my training, and so that's what geneticists do. But also, I became quite fascinated by the deaf culture, by the controversies, by the questions. And over the years, I've had students with a hereditary hearing loss in my lab, medical students that we've trained, postdoctoral fellows. It's an enormous
0: world. Karen points to the World Health Organization estimate that 466 million people have a hearing loss that the WHO calls disabling, meaning, according to the WHO, that there is more than 35 decibels of hearing loss in the ear with the most hearing.
1: At the same time, I very much respect that there are those who believe it's a different form of communication and aren't looking for this kind of solution that we're going to be able to find with AV gene therapy, or other types of therapy. So I think to answer your question, that's the personal touch. It's been a long time and I've been really interested in the many different aspects of hearing loss.
0: Karen, thank you so much for your time today.
1: My pleasure. It was really good talking to you.
0: Karen Abraham is a faculty member at Tel Aviv University, where she searches for genes associated with hereditary forms of hearing loss. We'll have more on gene therapy later this month. You'll hear from an audiologist who explains why the headlines you read may have a troubling effect on public expectations surrounding gene therapy. But first, join us next week for a conversation on long COVID. Find that in your podcast feed or on the ASHA Leader website at leader.pubs.asha.org. ASHA Voices is produced by the American Speech-Language Hearing Association and comes from the team behind the ASHA Leader magazine. I'm J.D. Gray, and this is ASHA Voices.